2: Good evening and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. You're with Talk, we're on TV, we're on radio, we're online and of course we're on your smart speaker. Coming up, there's only one story in town tonight and if you've been watching Piers Morgan Uncensored, you'll know exactly what that is. Well, it's proving to be quite a night here at Talk TV. My mate and colleague, Piers Morgan, has just identified the members of the royal family named in the Dutch version of the latest book from Royal Hanger-on and Lickspittle-in-Chief Omid Scobie as having made remarks about Meghan and Harry's baby. The news is hot off the presses because everyone else was too scared to do it. But we don't do fear here and we don't get told what to do by the Duke and Duchess of Netflix or their messenger boy, Odious. It all started last night when publishers in the Netherlands pulled Scobie's latest book off the shelves because of a so called error in translation, which led to the publication of not one, but two royal names. Those names are King Charles and daughter in law, Kate, Princess of Wales. The shockwaves will now reverberate around the world. Stay right here because we will bring you all the reaction and the inevitable calls for Harry the Herbert, who has, let's face it, now denied that a conversation ever took place and that it was all the fault of the media to actually step in and distance himself from what Scobie's book says. If, of course, the story is older than that, because it was that interview with Oprah Winfrey in 2021 when Meghan first revealed that questions had been asked about Archie's skin colour. Cue the world of woke claiming the royal family were all racist, causing Prince William to be forced to deny it. For more than two years, Harry and Meghan were happy to let everyone know that racism was the main driver for them to leave the family and the country. Piers Morgan's tonight put all of that to the sword. Quite rightly, he says the story about the publishing error doesn't make any sense. Neither does the fact that odious Scobie claims he couldn't name the royals concerned. Of course, he could have anywhere outside of Britain, as Piers said, but he chose not to. Now, perhaps, we'll find out why. Let's see whether Harry and Meghan have anything to say about these allegations, about what Scobie has written, about what he says he didn't write. Scobie says he never named names and altogether what they actually told him. It's a riddle inside an enigma and we'll be getting to the bottom of it all. But that's not all, of course, because we'll bring the latest from Israel as both sides of the conflict prepare for the ceasefire to end at 5am tomorrow morning. We'll look back at today's crazy COVID inquiry and Rishi Sunak's worst day at Prime Minister's questions. Plus, we'll have a couple of woke celebrities to have a go at too. My favourite. It's all happening on the Independent Republic. Let's get it on. Now, don't forget, you can get in touch with the show on all the socials at Talk TV and, of course, on the phones, 0344 499 1000. Calls uh, will cost the national rate. And joining me now to discuss these amazing revelations is host of the To Die For podcast, Kinsey Schofield. And Leon Emerali, of course, joins me as well in the studio. We'll talk to Leon in a moment about all of this. But, Kinsey, welcome back. It was only last night uh, that you said to me, I'm not sure uh, if you want us to name the names uh, that were basically in this uh, supposed Dutch version of the book. Um, Piers Morgan has now come out on his own and said it for the first time in this country. I don't know if it's for the first time anywhere, uh, but a magnificent thing that he's done. Um, Now that the names are out there, what happens now?
3: I mean, I think in this particular case, Mike, because when we've seen it in the past with Tom Bauer's book, Revenge, and then with Christopher Anderson's book, they gave us context. What was the conversation? You know, typically it was innocent. It was the we, you know, the kind of conversations that normally happen with interracial families. However, in this instance, Omid gives us no context, just says this person said something racist and this person said something racist. If I were in charge. I know never complain, never explain has been their go-to, but I would go after whoever I needed to legally. I would remove the Duke and Duchess. I would remove them of their titles and I would completely cut them off. Harry, Meghan, and now Omid Scobie weaponize race relations. They they utilize, you know, this, this tense, this tenseness that specifically we have in the United States around race to Basically, make a living. And I think that that's uh, egregious. I think it's disgusting. And I think it's hateful. There's no proof to what's being said. And it's at the end of the day, it's incredibly cruel to do to the family as well. We know Harry and Meghan are are very sensitive. They're um, destructive and they exaggerate all of their claims. So there's, aside from being no proof, there's no proof of malice Mm. when it comes to these claims as well.
2: Well, let's go back to what happened in that Oprah Winfrey interview, right? Because there we saw um, the the sort of suggestion of racism, Oprah's kind of absolute incredulous reaction to it all. Um, It all then went very quiet, apart from the fact that everybody in the world assumed that there was some racist in the royal family. Um, When Harry, two years later, finally gave an interview for the publication of his new book, he didn't mention it in the book. And he then said to Tom Bradby of ITV... Well, actually, no, we never said that. We never suggested that. It was all down to the press. And so he's already taken a kind of distancing uh, manoeuvre away from the allegation. Scobie now says he didn't write it because he would never name names. He doesn't know how it got into this Dutch uh, edition of the book. And it's all a bit of a mystery, isn't it?
3: It is truly. And we did see some rare moments in response to the Oprah Winfrey interview. For instance, uh, the remember when the reporter yelled at Prince William, yes. is your family racist? And William surprisingly reacted, no, my family is not racist. Uh, additionally, poor lady Susan Hussey got the boot. You know, and I right. felt like that was in direct reaction to all of the chaos surrounding the Oprah Winfrey interview. So the royal family clearly takes this, you know, very seriously. I'd be surprised if there's not a response in some way, shape or form. But you're ex- you're exactly right. The mystery surrounding how this happened in this Dutch version, I think it's... It- I I could scratch my head. I I just... I could not explain to you, unless Omen Scobie is lying to us, I cannot explain to you how this all came to fruition.
2: Right. I think we have... I believe we have, anyway, got the Piers Morgan um, uh, situation. We'd like to watch how Piers Morgan broke this story. Have a look.
4: I'm going to tell you the names of the two senior royals who are named in that Dutch version of the book, because, frankly, if Dutch people wandering into a bookshop can pick it up and see these names, then you, British people here, who actually pay for the British royal family, you're entitled to know too. And then we can have a more open debate about this whole Farrago, because I don't believe any racist comments were ever made by any of the royal family, and until there is actual evidence of those comments being made, I will never believe it. But now we can start the process... Of finding out if they ever got uttered what the context was and whether there was any racial intent at all like i say i don't believe there was the royals who are named in this book are king charles and catherine princess of wales
2: and there you have it king charles and catherine princess of wales I mean, it'll be fascinating now to see what they react like to this, Kinsey, because at the end of the day, as you say, somebody's going to have to tell the truth here, aren't they?
3: Yeah, and, uh, you know, I, I can't stress enough, I agree with Pierce Morgan. I don't think that this is true. I don't think that these are... To, and I mean, I've seen what King Charles has done for you know pe- people of color with the Prince's Trust. It's incredible what he's done, and that was all his doing. I mean, that was his brainchild. You know, I I, I just think that it, it's so hateful, so damaging, and so cruel. And I do wonder if that's why Prince William. You know, aggressively responded, no, my family is not racist. Did they see this on the horizon? Mike, don't forget that Prince Harry told the Telegraph during spare interviews there's more. He said, my attorneys made me cut so much from spare. I have more content. I didn't want to hurt my father and my brother. And also don't forget Megan's cut interview where it was basically a threat. She said, I found my journals from Frogmore and I didn't have to sign a non-disclosure agreement. I have a very hard time believing that Harry and Megan are not the source for this particular story.
2: Yes, I think that's probably something that a lot of people will question, certainly. Kinsey Schofield, brilliant to talk to you again. Thank you so much. Uh, This story continues uh, to go on and on and on. But now, um, moving on, Goldilocks and Rwanda aren't uh, just two words I thought I'd say in the same sentence, but the new Home Secretary is on the hunt for a Goldilocks version of the Rwanda deportation scheme. He's looking for a policy that's hot enough to overcome the human rights-shaped hurdles that have been keeping it on the ground, but at the same time cold enough to fly through debates in the House of Lords. And I'm joined now uh, by former Conservative advisor Leon Emerali. Leon, welcome to the show. You've been sitting there watching us at the start of the show, um, actually sort of changing everything up because Piers Morgan decided rather bravely, I think, uh, to name the two people uh, who have been published in... Holland in the Netherlands in this, but we don't know whether they're the original two people that Harry and Meghan were talking about. We don't know whether uh, anything of it really
5: uh, is true. It's a very weird, mysterious kind of happening, isn't it? Incredibly, and I think you're right. Piers was incredibly brave to yeah. name them, and I think and actually, right to do it. Really, he was right to do it because I think it is in uh, Harry and Meghan's favour to leave the speculation open yeah. because it tarnishes everyone in the royal family with that brush, and they these potential. Yeah racist that we don't actually know exactly what the allegation of racism is so i do find it uh, bizarre that they kept it quiet over this period of time and you're quite right the british people deserve to know they do
2: these allegations but also of course as i say it was prince harry himself who distanced himself from the original interview with oprah winfrey because he was the one that said to tom bradby you know oh that was all cooked up by the british press who said it was all about racism Mm. we never said that yeah and it's not in his book so i think he realized that that mistakenly kind of uh a uh, conversation he had with Megan, yeah. which
5: she then reveals to Oprah Winfrey, was the beginning of the whole House of Cards falling down. Absolutely. And I can't help but feel that Omid Scobie has been uh, manufacturing this as a yeah. way to build buzz around his book. But right. Let's face it, who's going to re- want to read that? Because, yeah. I mean, what a load of rubbish it seems to be. Well, a lot of people are saying all it is is a cut's job. It's basically rehashed stuff from all over the place that you've already read before. All stuff we've already heard yeah. and all things that you can imagine are going to be taken with a huge grain of salt because yeah. a lot of it, I think, doesn't seem to ring true. And the fact that he's named... King Charles, mm. the king, the monarch of well, this Well, okay, country. he says
2: he hasn't named them. He, he says, says
5: he, he doesn't name names. He doesn't
2: understand how this got into the Dutch version of the book, which I find equally b- baffling. I mean, that
5: is just crazy. Yeah. How on earth can something that ultimately has your name on the front cover find its way into a book and you're saying, nothing to do with me, governor. Right. I, know, I, I don't name names. Right. Well, clearly you have. And also the name Catherine, the name Charles is the same, whether it's in Dutch, well, English... Right.
6: Or,
2: or Mongolian. Well, yeah, apparently so the publishers have said in Holland, in Netherlands rather, I keep calling it Holland, which apparently you don't do anymore, um, is that well we thought it was a translation error, but now it's just an error. Mm. So it's gone from being a translation error, lost in translation, to just lost.
5: Yeah, yeah. And I think that's the exact sort of route that that book, entire mm. book is going down. It is going to be lost in history because I'm right. not entirely sure that we can take any of this as a... an accurate recount of what's happened. No. Uh, The stories keep changing, the facts keep changing, and it just seems to me that he's trying to scrape the barrel Mm. over Scobie to remain as relevant as he can for as long as he can because he knows his time is up, and I think this is a way of basically making well, money
2: for Well, maybe them. Endgame is, a, is more of a premonition about his own career uh, as, as a royal author than it is about anything else. But we'll be talking about this a lot. Of course, it will be in the papers as well. Uh, we'll be looking at all of that as it comes up throughout the course of the show. But let's talk a bit about Rwanda mm. as well. Uh, it's not the only game in town, the royal family. Um, James Cleverley, um has been talking about sort of further countries joining deportation deals if mm. the Rwanda scheme can work. But it's almost as though the Tories are kind of hoping that it works, and then all these other great things will happen.
5: Yeah. But first, you've got to make it work, haven't you? Yeah, I think the whole Miranda policy uh, intentions aside, I think in practice it doesn't work. Right. I mean, we've seen that it doesn't work. There has to be well, it keeps. Uh, it's worse than that. It keeps not working. It keeps it? not working. I mean, it can't even have the opportunity to work, right. Mike, because it hasn't. It's not making it through the first mm. hurdle. And right. I think, as the government, as politicians, surely, when you're making these laws, you have to recognise that they are compatible with any treaty yeah. or international law that you're signed up to. So. Right. The options on the table are now very limited. And I'm not entirely sure why James Cleverley is saying, We're going to do more of these deals. Do the first one. Well, do the first one and then see
2: where you go because he's sort of making the point that other countries are coming to Britain to say, look, we'll be more than happy to take millions and millions of pounds from you and do absolutely bugger all. I mean, that's what what basically the French have done. They've gone, give us a few hundred million and we'll do nothing. Um, You know, you could be getting these offers from all over the place. You could be Paraguay, you know, Nicaragua, (laughs) you know, you could get sort of possibly, you know, Zimbabwe saying, yeah, we'll take some people and then do nothing with them. Just give us a load of money.
5: Yeah, I think it's the international community taking Britain for a ride, frankly. I think the government have run out of ideas when it comes to immigration. They haven't run out of money, unfortunately. Well, uh, well, I think they're going to... Well, they have. They keep still giving it away. They keep giving it away because it's our money, Mike. It's taxpayers' money. That There's an endless, bottomless pit on Mm. it. But I do think that the government has run out of ideas when it comes to tackling immigration. It's going to be the central issue of the next election. Of course it is. Uh, And I think if they can't show that there has been progress made on tackling, firstly, illegal immigration, uh, then I don't think they've got a hope in hell of being able to be uh, re-elected. Certainly not uh, as things are currently looking. And I do think that the government now need to think creatively. I wouldn't advocate for leaving the ECHR. I think that's a bad idea on multiple levels. Yeah. But there has to be some sort of lateral thinking as to how they can make Rwanda work. If they can't make it work, then move on to plan B, move on to plan C because we expect our government to have that.
2: But I'm going to show you something now which may or may not shock you, depending on whether you've seen it already. Um, But the real reason why none of this stuff works pretty much is because the Home Office doesn't work. Lee Anderson today uh, was questioning a couple of Home Office officials, senior Home Office officials, I should say, people who should know what the hell is going on. I mean, what you will now see, I tell you what, is absolutely
7: mind-boggling. You will be shocked. Have a look at this. Put foreign offenders aside and Albanians aside, just forget about those numbers, how many people travelling on small boats has been refused asylum have been sent to a third country or back to their own country Of the past three years?
8: I don't think we have. I, don't, I, don't, I think we'll, we'll,
7: I, we'll write we to the committee with
5: those back numbers, back. Mr. Anderson.
7: That's quite That's staggering. OK, it's then
5: let's do
7: it for the last year.
6: I
2: don't have a number for non Albanian, non FNOs.
9: Perhaps they might be able to help you. Let's do okay. last week then. Do we have any figures about anything?
7: No. Yes. In the last six months? Just how many in the last six months? As
5: Simon said, there, I mean, there there are, there are uh, charter flights and, and other, other ways of doing returns the whole time, uh, constantly, and we can, yeah, we I mean, can no, give but, you whatever, uh, whatever timeline you like.
7: People who are coming here uh, who are being refused asylum, cause I'm, I'm yes. sure there's a few. How many was sent back last month?
10: Incoming.
5: Incoming. We, 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 we'll write you with those numbers.
2: <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry. That is one of the most ludicrous, I think, pieces of footage I've ever seen mm. from any committee ever in the history of Parliament. You know, these guys... It's not as if there's a big number they have to add up. They won't need probably more than the fingers of both their hands to tell them how many people have been deported because they're not deporting anyone. Every time they try and put anybody on a plane, chances are they don't go anywhere. The Albanians have done a deal, so yes, some Albanians will be going, as he said, can you tell me who else is going outside of Albania? And they're literally clueless.
5: Yeah. That can't be right. It's... It's incredible, Mike, watching that. My draw is, is, is have, and you have just pick yeah. the floor because it's unbelievable right. that people who are running the Home Office. Yeah. This isn't sort of the department for paperclip. No. This is the Home Office, right. one of the most important government departments, and they don't know those fundamental numbers. And mm. Lee Anderson, I mean, you know, we're probably on different wings of the Conservative Party, yeah. me and him, but good for him because Great. that's democracy. Yes. Where you've got elected politicians holding these civil servants to account. Mm. I think it's shown to a lot of people yeah. that a lot of civil servants simply haven't got a clue. Well, that I mean, I mean, put that government. out on.
2: on on Twitter earlier today and the reaction from, from ordinary members of the public was staggering. They just went, how on earth uh, is it possible that this is how they operate? Mm-hmm. They've got four people sitting behind them, um, as they always do in these kind of hearings. And s- supposedly those would be the people handing the pieces of paper. But this guy's flicking through his notes as if he's actually looking for something. Everybody knows he's not looking for anything mm-hmm. because everybody knows the answer is probably zero. Yeah,
5: And absolutely. that's the bottom
2: line. And everyone has also said to me, if I turned up at work for a meeting with the board or if I turned up at work for a meeting with my bosses and I, that was the way I was able to answer their questions,
5: you'd be out of a job tomorrow. You would be. And look, I'm not expecting these people to know every single figure related well, to their something, brief. something, though. But for them to be going into that select committee, knowing that people like Lee Anderson are on that panel, yeah. surely at that point their advisors and the people around them would have said, you're probably going to be asked about the amount of people that have been sent back that have arrived. Right at least have that figure to hand, at least have it in your binder so that you can turn to it. And I just think it shows, really, that there isn't much joined-up thinking Mm. at the very top of government, and that's a real indictment, I think, of the way that our country's run right now.
2: Yeah, well, I think that is the absolute tragedy of our reality because we are simply now being run by civil servants Mm. and government departments are bereft of kind of any talent, really, in terms of ministerial talent, to make these civil servants do the work that they're paid to do. Mm. And they're actively now operating as sort of the opposition against the government.
5: Yeah, and this is the thing, Mike. You can change government, Mm. but it's still going to be those guys that are running the departments, ultimately. So it isn't going to make much of a difference whether you don't like this current crop of government. Mm. You can vote in whoever you want, but it's still going to be the same people implementing those policies. And clearly, they're not very talented. They haven't got the skill set, necessarily, to deliver. Now, I'm not saying everyone at the Home Office is is that incompetent Mm. because it's an important department and there are talented people in there. But for that type of uh, you know in- inquisition to just go completely mm. unanswered, to not even have the answers right. anywhere in your binder, I just
2: find extraordinary. I know. And it could be worse than that. It could be that they're willfully just obfuscating and not wanting to give the information out, which would actually be worse. Leon, thank you very much indeed. Leon Morali there uh, with his take on what went on at that Home Office hearing, but what do you make of it? 0344 499 1000. You're watching The Independent Republic of Mike Graham, but don't bloody move because after the break, we're going to delve into the farcical £200 million COVID inquiry as former Chancellor Sajid Javid says Dominic Cummings was Prime Minister in all but name. No surprise there. And we'll also go live to Jerusalem for the latest on the hostage release situation as fears grow the 10-month-old hostage Kefir Bibas has been killed along with his mum and brother in Gaza. We'll see you after this. Welcome back. You're watching the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Uh, the COVID inquiry continued today, and the big dogs in the lineup couldn't agree over whether Dominic Cummings was the power behind Boris Johnson's throne or not. Check this out.
11: At, at many times I felt like um, that the key decisions, many of the key decisions, were being made by Mr. Cummings and not the Prime Minister uh, in a way that I had not seen with any other. Prime Minister, certainly that I had had worked with.
0: The broader question you, you rise, raise about whether he took... He was actually... The, Boris Johnson was a puppet. I, I, I'm afraid I don't
6: find that a serious allegation.
2: I mean, really? And that's the best of it. Um, and also, Saji Javid looks more and more like the master from Doctor Who. I know that's a bit of an old reference for some of you. I'm joined now, though, by the founder of US for the... Molly Kingsley, Talk his Chief Political Commentator, Peter Cardwell. Molly, welcome back. Peter, thanks to see you again. Um... Incredible, isn't it, that these people, these highly paid, you know, high-flying politicians who have been at the very top of their game and are now sort of on the wane are just sitting there talking about Dominic Cummings. I mean, what's it all about?
12: There's been so much bandwidth giving over to Dom Cummings Mm. in this and, you know, we can disagree all we want about whether he was a dictator, whether he was trying to take over number 10, but actually does it affect the analysis of what we're trying to get to? No, it doesn't.
2: Right, and that's the problem. Dominic Cummings is obviously casting a shadow over this whole thing, Peter, because, you know, um, as I said just the other night, we should just ditch this whole thing save ourselves a load of money, give the money maybe to families that, that, that require it because of some kind of loss that they've had. But, I mean, everybody knows Dominic, Cum- Dominic Cummings is a bastard. We said it the other night. I say it every night now. It's just like saying
6: it. You know, it's not very surprising, is it? Well, I think, look, I, I, it's, Sajid Javid certainly doesn't like him and hasn't liked him since he effectively sacked him as Chancellor mm. in uh, February 2020. The bigger story, actually, I think, which has been missed by a lot of people is actually about the Deputy Chief Medical Officer, Dame Jenny Harries. Right. So, what's interesting, what, what she said, there was an email that came out today about the fact that she had put it was her who put the notion forward that it was clinically okay, in her view, and the Deputy Chief Medical Officer's uh, view, to discharge people who had COVID into care homes. Right. And often, politicians have been blamed for the uh, protective ring. Being a nonsense, but actually, it was the deputy chief medical officer who originally came up with the plan. So that's very interesting. And the war of words about Dominic Cummings was he in control? Was right. he not? Was Boris a puppet? Dominic Rab certainly would like to put forward that he was in control for those five right. weeks, certainly that uh, Boris Johnson was, was close to death and that he was acting prime minister. Right. So very, very interesting.
2: I mean, it's amazing that anybody would want to claim to be in charge of any of it because I mean, nobody really. thought well, Dominic out Cummings of it said he thought smelling, they did a good job. Smelling of roses. I mean, they didn't do a good job. We've got Hancock to come tomorrow, haven't yeah. we? You've also been talking, Molly, about about um, these kind of interesting little sort of what you might call dancing around the edges stories that are coming out about the moral and ethical advisory group, about how things were being recommended not to be written down. I mean, it's all a bit...
12: Sort well, of
2: dystopian, isn't yeah, it? yeah,
12: I mean, what I find interesting about the Cummings focus is that, you know, Hallett got, I don't know if you heard, she got quite defensive about that today. Yeah. She said, I'm looking at this, you know, to be clear, it's not because I'm biased. It's because I'm trying to get to the heart of where the decisions were made. Properly. Oh, that's all right, then. And you think, well, hang on, if you're trying to get the, to the heart of that, let's look at how decisions were made. You know, mm. let's look at how it got given to, mm. you know, these huge decisions to four at best, this quad of ministers. Right. And now we're hearing, you know, actually a lot of it happened behind the quad. There's a story yet that you're referring to, Mike, which is at the time um, the pandemic started, there was specifically an ethics committee. The government appointed Mm. uh, ethical experts to advise it on some of the very contentious issues Mm. that we knew were gonna arise during the pandemic. Um, Very long story short, that committee started giving um, unpalatable Advice and appears to have been at first sidelined and then closed down altogether. So if you know if you're talking about were decisions made properly, well look no further. And when they
2: say unpalatable, do you mean? unpalatable from the point of view of the politicians or unpalatable because it was so ghastly
12: unpalatable from the point of view of the politicians so this committee gave some very negative negative advice first of all on covid passes effectively saying there were serious issues as we know i mean you know the the issues about human rights about the ethics were raised in other forums too Um, and then later on they expressed serious concerns about the rollout of the vaccine to children. Mm. And that was the point, effectively, Mm. at which they were never asked to opine again and not told not to put things in writing.
6: But the whole thing's absurd, Mike, because we have Michael Gove earlier in the week Mm. saying, we need to talk about the origins of COVID. Yeah. Was it man-made? Was it created in a lab? And he, was <laughs> and he was shut down. And he was shut down by yeah. Hugo Keith, a very arrogant uh, King's Counsel, who kept telling yeah. Dominic Cummings to, to speak more slowly. Yeah, yeah. Then you have the fact that the inquiry wasn't even going to look at the impact on children, were it not for the brave and brilliant campaigning of people like Molly and others who said yeah. that this should be within the scope of the inquiry. They're not asking about whether lockdown was right or not. No. They're v- absolutely... I've just given you three basic examples right. off the top of my head. There are three many, many more things that are very basic things that this inquiry is not going to look at. It's going to take years, it's going to cost millions and at the end of it they're going to say lessons must be learned. Yeah, and it's ludicrous that this amount of money is being wasted on it, isn't it?
12: Absolutely. And actually, I thought, you know, the other person that was up today was Javed. And, you know, bearing in mind that he was the health minister during that incredibly contentious winter of 2021, when we had mandatory face masks come back, we had COVID passes, and he was barely questioned about that. And he had said, I think,
2: if my memory serves me right, that he wouldn't ever bring COVID passes in. He, he had. And then he did.
12: Well, and worse than that, they were brought in without meeting any of the procedure that you would have expected to yeah. so the You know, you're meant to, when you bring legislation, you're meant to put it in front of Parliament, you're meant to have impact assessments. None of that right. happened, at least not in a meaningful way right. the COVID passes. And this just passes the inquiry yeah. by.
2: because I spoke to people whose kids um, who were old enough to make the decision themselves were being encouraged to get, um, you know, injected with the, with the vaccine in order for them to go and be able to go to a, f- a festival in the summer, that kind of thing. So loads of them just went, well, I won't be able to go to a festival unless, unless I've had the, uh, the COVID vaccine. And so many people fell for that.
12: Yeah, and that wasn't touched on. I mean, I suppose what the inquiry would say is there's going to be a separate module mm. on vaccination. I would be amazed if they cover that kind of ethical yeah. breach that we saw with it. I'd be amazed, but yeah.
6: you know. And it actually feeds into so many other political arguments that we're having at the moment. Low skilled workers, for example, yes. with immigration, care workers, forty thousand plus yeah. who were who had vaccine mandates and were told you don't get a yes, vaccine, you can't work. Course. Like I've had all my vaccines, yeah. but and, and I'm very happy to have. Well, had You probably had them, haven't actually,
2: because you probably have about another ten if you <laughs> to have. I mean, there are some
6: idiots still getting them, you know. But there are lots of care workers who um, who are not whether well, people qualified to be care workers who were told given their marching orders because yeah. they didn't get COVID jabs. That's absurd and ridiculous.
2: Yeah, and that should never happen again. But there's no indication that they're going to learn from that. Your book's out. Um, have you brought it with yep, you? Yep,
12: I have. I have. I don't know if you can see. It But it's, it
2: the looks accountability. Very it's only a new book, there, It is.
12: It? it is. Yeah. Yeah. This is one for you well. So oh, a thank very, you very much. <laughs> the Accountability
2: <laughs> Deficit by Molly Kingsley, Arabella Skinner, and Ben Kingsley. This is from uh, your organisation itself, isn't it? From us for them. And um, tell us briefly about that.
12: Yeah, I mean, really, it was just attempting to do what the inquiry doesn't seem to be doing, and it's very forensic. So two of the three of us are lawyers, and we have been through, you know, three years' worth of records, effectively, and tried to put into writing some of the more egregious failures. And, you know, the discovery about this ethical committee that apparently was disbanded Mm. is one of the um, things that has come out of that research, and there's many other... um,
2: Fascinating. Well, I'm sure we'll continue to talk about it because there are lots of other things that, that we've been discovering outside of the COVID arguments that have happened as well, which have kind of slipped in under the radar. Um, but Peter, while you're here, let's talk a bit about Prime Minister's questions today, um, because you told me Rishi Sunak had a pretty bad day disaster, at the office, yeah, which yeah. he hasn't normally
6: done. You know, he's usually been OK, as we've yeah. discussed many times before, Mike. He's usually OK yeah. at Prime Minister's questions, but he looked incredibly uncomfortable, certainly, and there was a, a very rambunctious exchange, especially towards the end, actually. Right. Uh, we can have a look I at think we have that. Uh, let's have a look. On their watch,
0: migration has just (laughs) trebled and he's giving the House a lecture about targets. He's lost in la-la land. (laughs) There can be few experiences more haunting for the members opposite than hearing this Prime Minister claim that he's going to sort out a problem. It is ironic that he's suddenly taken such a keen interest in Greek culture when he's clearly become the man with the reverse Midas touch. (laughs) Everything he touches turns to, maybe the Home Secretary could help me out here,
2: uh,
6: rubbish. That's actually quite good for Starmer, isn't it? It is. I mean, Starmer's on It's form. actually quite amusing. Rishi Sunak, if people are watching it on talk TV, uh, or if they're listening on talk radio, I can describe it, because, I mean, Rishi Sunak just he, like, like this. I've
2: never seen him look
6: like he'd that. He'd rather be anywhere else, uh. rather be anywhere else. And actually, uh, there was another bit within PMQs where his microphone was cut, and he said he was about to say to... Uh, Keir Starmer, Britain isn't listening, mm. and then the microphone was cut. And he sort of went, isn't "Oh God!" Couldn't, couldn't really hear it. And the um, trouble is, just...
2: those are the kinds of things that you remember, aren't they? I mean, well, it's like, defining. Yeah. It's like Theresa May and that sign behind her that started literally falling off the wall yeah. at conference when she was speaking, and it was just a complete metaphor. I was there. The whole state of the nation <laughs> and the government, wasn't it? Yeah. And this is the trouble. I mean, I mean, have you got any hope, Molly, that, that if we get a new government, whether it's Labour or whether it's somebody other than Rishi Sunak, that all of this sort of last two or three years of madness will will suddenly become something different.
12: No, I mean, not under any political party that Mm. exists now. We need radical structural reform. We need politicians with integrity. And actually, we need politicians who are not afraid to put long-term interest above political short-termism. And I think until you have a political party that almost exists just for a term, you're not going to get that. No. So, no, I'm afraid I'm incredibly pessimistic about it. But you hope that it's got so bad that actually out of that, something new comes. Yeah, you'd
2: like to think so. Mm. Peter, great to see you. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you, Molly. Thank Uh, you. Thank you for the book. I shall read it before I go to bed at (laughs) 4am, which is more or less what I did yesterday. You're watching The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Uh, Don't go anywhere, though, because after the break, we're going live to Tel Aviv for the latest on the hostage situation. The planned handover of 10 Israeli hostages by Hamas has now taken place, and there are now intense efforts underway to extend the current truce for a few more days. See you after this. Welcome back to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham. Situation uh, in the Middle East now, and Israel today said it's checking claims by Hamas that a ten-month-old baby who was snatched and taken into Gaza by the terrorists was killed in an Israeli airstrike alongside his mother and brother. Hamas claims a uh, Kafir Bibas, his 30-year-old mother and four-year-old brother, were killed in an Israeli bombardment before the truce was announced. Joining me now from Tel Aviv is Talk TV's war correspondent, Tom March. Tom, uh, a very good evening to you. Thank you very much indeed for joining us once more. I understand uh, that some more hostages have been released tonight, including a couple of uh, Israeli-Russians uh, and a couple of Thais as well. Um, but I guess the big question now is, will the ceasefire be extended? Will it go ahead as planned and end uh, in the morning? Um, and what news from Israel on the reported death uh, of this family, which includes the 10-month-old baby?
10: So I would say that most people here want the ceasefire to go on a little bit longer to try and get as many hostages out as possible. The clause in the original ceasefire deal says that if Hamas releases 10 hostages, they'll get an extra day of truce and another 30 Palestinian prisoners released. However, it's getting very, very late here. It's almost midnight And there's no word yet that the deal will be extended, despite pretty frantic efforts, as we understand, by both US and Qatari mediators. Now, obviously, the news that Hamas have reported of the death of Claire Ubas and his family, now that's a 10-month-old baby, the youngest hostage, who'd kind of become a face of the bring-them-home movement to have the hostages released. His loss is pretty incalculable, I would say, for people here. It's really, really made people very, very sad and very, very angry, even more so than they were since October the 7th.
2: Yes. And the word, of course, from Hamas is not always to be trusted. I mean, they're saying that uh, the family were killed in an Israeli airstrike. Um, They had sort of said or hinted in the past that they weren't sure where some of the hostages were. Um, This family, they say, was given to um, a sort of an offshoot group of the PLO. Um, I think it's the People's Front for the Liberation of Palestine or something like that. Um, Is
10: anybody buying that excuse? Well, this is the thing. It seems that Hamas may have had actually less overall control of the Gaza Strip than people realised. And it may be that it had to do some hostage trading or some dealings for reasons of its own internal politics inside Gaza. Now, I don't think anybody here, uh, let alone outside, has a really good window into that. It's not impossible that they did give them to another faction and that faction just took them to somewhere that wasn't as well protected. And then again, it could just simply be an excuse. It's a really good excuse for Hamas to say, look, there needs to be less bombing because you're killing your own people. Ultimately, without an independent investigation on the ground, we're almost certainly never going to know the full story. No.
2: Um, And in terms of um, the timing of of the ceasefire being um, coming to an end, I suppose I should say, I mean, there's not many hours left, as you say. How does it normally work? Do they sit up all night uh, in Qatar? Do they try and find a resolution in some way?
10: Yeah, so effectively, that's normally what happens, although normally it's been uh, announced a few hours earlier than we are now. So I think people are worried that it is not going to stick an extra day. As I said last night, the IDF are really rearing to go. They really want to do what they can to go into South Gaza and clear the rest of Hamas out. However, as they even admitted to me, that could cause an even greater humanitarian catastrophe than is already going on. So everyone has a sense that there could really be some even darker days ahead.
2: Absolutely. Tom, great to speak to you. Thank you once again. Uh, reporting in from Tel Aviv there, Tom much uh, Talk TV's war correspondent. Alongside me back here uh, in the studio in London is former Conservative Advisor Leon Um, Emerali. um Leon, it's always terrible to see these pictures of children um, and the news this afternoon that came... Um, about the baby, the 10-month-old, who was only nine months old Mm -hmm. uh, when he was taken hostage. I mean, it's hard to even imagine saying hostage and baby in the same sentence, but, you know, I'd said only last night he spent a tenth of his life Mm. basically in a dark tunnel underneath the Gaza Strip being held hostage. His brother is only four, and the reason this came to light was apparently the Israelis said to Hamas, you know, you need to include these two kids Mm. in the next hostage release Conversation because I think they're the last of the two that are under five. Mm
5: -hmm.
2: I'm not sure you can believe anything Hamas says, are you?
5: You can't believe anything Hamas says. I mean, you know, there's certainly a great deal of propaganda coming out from their side, and I don't think we can take uh, any accuracy with with, with what's coming out from their side. But I think this story is a stark reminder, Mike, if we needed it, Mm. of the human cost of this conflict. And every time we we talk about sort of the geopolitics of this and who's talking to who and what's the UK's role, what's America's role... Mm. Ultimately, it is people, Israeli people, being having their lives torn apart, really, yeah. by this just barbaric acts of violence. Yeah. And I think it is just a real saddening story that you have got someone as young as that, a life just wasted entirely because of... The brutality of, of of you know Hamas, by the sounds of things. So I think I'm hopeful this ceasefire does continue, so more hostages can be released. Yes. But it sounds as though it's not looking as as, as likely as uh, as perhaps we'd no. like it to be. we're
2: looking right now at some pictures of the hostages being released today, um, basically, uh, including uh, as well two Israeli Russian citizens, apparently, uh, which I was reading about earlier. It uh, was a request apparently uh, from Vladimir Putin, mm. um, and so Hamas. Doing it, they say, as a sort of favour to the leader of Russia, which tells you where the strange and unusual bedfellows are. Because it goes, I mean, I'm speaking to um, a security expert just the other week, said, saying that the kind of the the axis of evil, if you like, is Russia, Iran, mm-hmm. Hamas, and Hezbollah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's the, that's the grouping.
5: Yeah, and you don't want to be on that side uh, or anywhere near it, frankly. So I don't understand the people who still try to defend Hamas or Mm. aren't condemning Hamas and their actions on the 7th of October. When you look at that, when you see that it is only those allies, the likes of Russia, the likes of Iran, the the world's bad guys, they're the ones they're talking to, they're the ones they're listening to, Mm. and I think that tells you everything you need to know about their integrity and their morality and and how it can be defended, I just don't know. And the other thing that I'm hearing uh, from from security
2: experts is that apparently still inside quite a few of the Israeli jails are some very senior Hamas um, militant figures. Um, who the Israelis really don't want to be releasing because we know that one of them that they did release is supposed to be behind the October 7th attack. Mm. You know, he was in a a prison in Israel until relatively recently. They let him out and he plotted that. And so they really don't want to let these people go. But it may well be that Hamas will play this game Mm. up to the nth degree and they'll say, oh, well, you can't have that particular hostage because they're not alive
5: anymore. Yeah. And it's really tough, isn't it, to, to know what Israel does next? Incredibly tough. And I think, ultimately, Hamas are not going to stop until the Israeli state is abolished. Mm. Uh, we heard Bill Clinton a few weeks ago say he, he brokered worked really hard to broker a deal mm. that actually gave Hamas... Uh, a, a, well, a, was a, a two-state solution, yeah. effectively, that was more than generous, yeah. um, but they turned it down. Hamas mm. turned it down because they wanted Israel abolished. Now, if that is who you're dealing with... Mm. These aren't people that you can negotiate with in normal diplomatic routes. So perhaps, and I'm not advocating for violence or conflict, I I think we should see peace, but ultimately Israel, if their only option is to fight back or to simply Mm. stand by and and let themselves be be abolished, that's that's not going to happen.
2: If the ceasefire does not get extended, then at 5am this morning... Um, you'll see the IDF, presumably, back into Gaza, mm. back into those tunnels, looking for more uh, Hamas people to kill. Um, mm. And perhaps the collateral damage of that will, will continue. So it's a terrible mess and, and not showing any sign of, of ending. Leon, good to see you. Thank you very much uh, indeed. You're watching The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. After the break, hear my thoughts on today's hostage release, and we'll be hearing from you as well. So don't forget, give us a call, 0344 499 1000, to have your say. Welcome back. You're watching the Independent Republican, Mike Graham, right here on Talk TV. Now, it's time for Taking the Mic. The past seven weeks since the appalling events of October the 7th provided the world with plenty of opportunities to lose faith in the human race. The sheer barbarity of what happened that day is still etched in the minds of so many thousands of people in Israel and millions of people around the world. When hostages began to be returned to their families last week, it seemed as though there may be at last some light at the end of a very dark Hamas-operated tunnel. But as we've watched those poor children returning to the bosom of their families, almost certainly irredeemably traumatised by what happened to them while they were held underground in Gaza, instead it appears that we've discovered an entirely new level of horror and despair. Yesterday we learned that many of the children can only whisper their words for fear of being overheard by killers, Others have told of beatings and being forced to watch Hamas atrocities non-stop during their captivity. Today we are told that the youngest hostage, Kafir Bibas, is dead. The 10-month-old baby is said to have been killed along with his four-year-old brother Ariel and their mother Sheree. If it's true, it must be one of the coldest and darkest moments of the war yet. The trouble is, of course, that the claim of their death is made by Hamas and it came as Israel insisted that the two brothers be included in any further rounds of hostage releases. The Hamas response was to reveal that the family died, in their words, some time ago as a result of an Israeli airstrike. They said the family had been handed over to the Marxist Popular Front for the people of Palestine. How cold-blooded and barbaric will these terrorists get? The ceasefire is due to end at 5am tomorrow and if it does, the Israel Defence Force will return to those tunnels in Gaza and beyond to carry out their rightful mission and we can only hope that the perpetrators of these horrific acts will either be forced to hand back all the hostages or that Israel will destroy their ability to ever do anything like it again. Now, lots of you have been getting in touch and you can, of course, have your say on all the socials at Talk TV and on the phones, 0344 499 1000. I know, Lonnie, you want to talk about that unbelievable situation in the Home Office and how it's possible for those senior civil servants to be so useless at answering any kind of question about any kind of numbers and any kind of figures about migration and deportation. Incredible. Now, let's now go to the calls, though. John is in Newcastle. Hi, John.
8: So, Mike. Yes, this was one of the points I found out, that the Home Office cannot find 17,000 immigrants, which, <laughs> which is amazing. 17,000? Uh, 17,000, 17, yes. Right. They're, they're running around somewhere, but who knows where they are anyway. And Incredible. I've two or th- and I've got two or three points if I just push them forward. Yeah, go on. Another Labour Council, Nottingham City Council has went bankrupt. Yes. Now, that's not, that's not the only Labour council that's went bankrupt recently. And what I would like to talk about is, uh, oh, well, the last time the Labour Party was in, because this government isn't much good, we, we can understand that. Right. But the last time a Labour government was in, that was 13 years ago, roughly, and the figures were different in them days, but it was $267 billion in debt. Yes. Is, so, are we looking forward next year to having a return of a Labour uh, government? And will well, do UK you know what the Labour dedicate... government
2: says now, John? The Labour government now says that actually they're the party of fiscal responsibility because the Tories have spent so much money, not least because of Covid and furlough and all of that, but all the money they're wasting on the migrants and all the money they're wasting on net zero. You know, they've actually proven themselves to be pretty bad stewards of the economy as well, haven't they? Haven't
8: they? Haven't they just... Oh, it's, uh, f- from my point of view, as I'm um, putting on the decades now, uh, I'll never vote Tory again. No. I'll never vote Labour uh, because of the makeup of Labour today. Yeah. And I'll never vote Liberal because I've never been in 100 years. Well, they'll never
2: get in either. That's the other, that's the other thing, John.
8: Uh, and, uh, I, will w- I will vote for reform because we need fresh blood in this country, if
2: anything. I think an awful lot of people will be doing the same thing, because a lot of people have got fed up with the situation. Exactly. John, listen, thank you very much indeed. Um, okay. we'll, we'll appreciate your call. We'll come to some more callers coming up uh, very shortly. But we asked you this question, should the UK opt out of the European Convention on Human Rights on asylum cases to push their Rwanda policy through? Um, 86% of you said yes. Absolutely right. Maddie says a better solution would be to stop them ever setting foot on UK soil. The fact that the government does not stop them proves they have no intention of doing so and no real intention to deport anyone. Well, I think if anyone watches that incredible performance by the Home Office, Mandarins there, who clearly didn't feel comfortable being asked any questions at all by Lee Anderson, didn't have any answers for him and didn't know what to do, even when they were looking through their pages and pages of notes, They couldn't come up with any answers. And most of the figures, by the way, uh, of deportations are available if you just go and check the internet. Already some of you have sent me the figures. Already some of you have pointed out to where you can find which people have been deported and to which countries. It's not difficult. Uh, Mark says, get us out of there promptly and sabotage the all EU laws. Watch out for what David Cameron and Starmer are up to. Uh, Hull says, leave the ECHR. Yes, Rwanda, no. It would be better if we have Navy patrols sending them away. We're sick and tired of all this nonsense. And Jack says, we should leave the court, not for the Rwanda plan, but just in general. We need to be able to deny all these false claims by criminals, From France. Well, as you know, uh, we talk about this story an awful lot here at Talk TV and particularly on the Independent Republic Mike Graham. There is no way that this government is ever going to start controlling the problem of illegal migration and they'll certainly never put a, a stop to the legal migration because there are so many people in this country and the Treasury is among them who still want lots and lots of people to come here. They think it's good for the economy. They think it's good for Britain. They think it's good for the nation. They think it's good for the kind of diversity quotient it's absolutely unbelievable the way things are going. But We want to take more of your calls, so do make them. 0344 499 1000. You're watching The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Coming up after the break, you'll find out which Hollywood star is risking it all with a stunning and brave three-day hunger strike to end the Israel-Palestine conflict. And also, has Hunter Biden become the hunted. Joe Biden's son is going to testify before Congress next month as the inquiry continues into his family's dodgy domestic and foreign business dealings. See you coming up after this.
1: Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support 100% online. You'll experience the all new Cerebral Way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you.
2: Good evening. You're watching the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk. We're on TV, we're on radio, we're online, and of course we're on your smart speaker as well. Tonight, Hunter Biden has told the US House of Representatives Oversight Committee that he's willing to testify before Congress who are investigating the Biden family's finances. Well, they might. GP appointments over the phone or online are apparently harming patients, according to a new study published in the BMJ, um, while distracted receptionists were also found to be responsible for death after they failed to call patients back. Also, find out what Hollywood star is risking it all for three days as they go on hunger strike to put an end to the conflict in the Middle East. Yeah, right. That'll help the hero we all deserve. Don't forget... Don't forget you can get in touch with the show on all the socials at Talk TV, on the phones as well, 0344 499 1000. The calls will cost you the national rate. But how about this? You don't have to wait for long for yet another member of the lovely fraternity to come out with some ludicrous garbage about important issues of the day, whether it's warning us of the climate emergency or instructing us what causes to believe in and what to support. Today's contender for the Showbiz Hypocrite Award is none other than Cynthia Nixon. Remember her? She was the rather plain one in Sex and the City. Oh, all right, the ginger one then, if you can't remember that. Just a few days after Susan Sarandon was dropped by her talent agency for making some anti-Semitic remarks, Cynthia decided it would be a good time to wave some banners around. So she headed down to America's capital, Washington DC, to take part in a pro-Palestine protest outside the White House. She could be seen holding a placard addressed to the president, and it says this, Biden, you are starving Gaza, permanent ceasefire now. And to show she really means it, Cynthia is gonna go on a hunger strike of her own. That's right, in sympathy with the Palestinians. But there's a twist in the tale. She's only gonna do it for two or three days. Why? Because she has to go back to work. Bless her. We can't let a little hunger get in the way of making money. How typically ridiculous. Now let's head across the Atlantic now where it's all been happening. Our former Prime Minister Liz Truss is over there campaigning, Hunter Biden's offering to testify and top ranking CIA officials are sharing pro-Palestinian messages on Facebook. To unpack that and a lot more, I'm joined now by former congressman uh, and presidential candidate, Mr. Joe Walsh. Joe, very good evening to you.
13: Hey, my favourite UK troublemaker. It's (laughs) always good to be with you.
2: It's always good to be with you too. We'll get on to some serious matters very, very shortly. But I must bring up something that was brought to my attention earlier this week. And it's a picture, a moving picture, I should say, of Donald Trump turning up in Nikki Haley's home state walking onto a football field, you might have seen it, uh, to what appears to be rapturous applause. Uh, people are telling me, Joe, this is yet more evidence that he's even more popular than the last time you and
13: I spoke. Michael, this is, and you know how I feel about Trump. I think he's an existential threat to our democracy. But this this race for the Republican nomination isn't a story. It's never been a story. It's Trump. Trump will be the nominee the Republican Party is his. This has never been in doubt. I, and But, you know, the media is trying to make a race of it. It's not a race. No, no, listen, I'm
2: certainly not trying to make a race of it because I, I believe people like yourself, Joe, know a lot more about this than I do. Uh, when you say that he's going to be the nominee, I've been saying that for a long time as well. But, I mean, what I'm saying, I suppose, is is the question then becomes, is he more popular than whoever your lot can come up with?
13: Yeah. <laughs> well, Michael, and again, you and I will fight about this next year. I think there's a better than 50-50 chance he gets elected again Yeah. for a lot of reasons, a- and the Democrats and Biden are in real trouble. America needs to wake up to that. Yeah, they really do, because I
2: speak to, to people over there who are friends fact. I saw a friend of mine who was in London this week um, who's a, a, a serious Democrat. You know, she's been on various you know, uh, Democratic fundraising campaigns and all the rest of it. And she lives in California. And she was saying uh, that, you know, the woke left are really doing so much damage to what the Democrats are trying to do. And they're derailing all of their kind of sensible policies on the economy, uh, on on all sorts of things about foreign policy. And all they want to talk about uh, is gender politics. All they want to talk about is ideology.
13: And all they want to talk about is rah-rah Palestine. Well, yeah, yeah. Hey, Michael, you nailed it, my friend. Look... You and I may fight a little bit about Biden. I think generally Biden has been damn good standing by Israel, but he's got a problem and the Democrats have a problem. They're divided on Israel Mm. and the left in this country is antagonistic toward Israel. This is going to hurt Biden politically. Yeah, and that's the problem
2: because I, like you, find it hard to believe that sensible people can be as ridiculous as they have been and come out with some of the things. I know you tweeted um, uh, a a student um, situation, a student event, where one student after another uh, was getting up and not only just talking about the rights of Palestinians, but actually saying you shouldn't be demonising Hamas. I mean, what the hell is going on?
13: Michael, I mean, the world needs to know this. In Oakland, California, last night... At a city council meeting, regular Americans stood up and defended Hamas. Not the Palestinian people. They defended Hamas. I I mean, look, this is a real problem. I think it's all over the world when it comes to the far left. Uh, but in America right now, uh, th- th- these... This is dangerous yeah. because they're not just saying we stand with the Palestinian people. They're justifying and actually supporting what Hamas did on October 7th. Scary stuff.
2: It really is, particularly when you see what's happening there now. I mean, like me, um, I'm assuming you you are a parent. I don't know whether you are, but, you know, I've got children Um Watching those kids being released back into the bosom of their families was quite sickening. And to now hear that an awful lot of them are talking about being beaten up, uh, being shown her mass videos constantly, being told to be quiet. There's one girl, um, little Emily Hand, who came out. Her father thought she was dead. Um, it turns out that she wasn't. She's back with him. She can only whisper to him now because she's been sort of, you know, coaxed into being frightened to speak in case she got killed.
13: Michael, I don't know about you, and I am a dad. I don't know about you, but, like, these last 53 days have been damn clarifying, right? I mean, it's pretty simple. Uh, This is good versus evil. This is Israel against Hamas, and it's been really clarifying to watch people choose sides. Mm. And here in America, we've got Democrats fighting with Democrats because Democrats—so many Democrats in this country— cannot decide which side they're on. That is, like, bizarre to me, because there's no decision to make here. Hamas is evil, period. Mm.
2: And when we learn the things that we now know, for example, that one of the masterminds of the October 7th attack was, in fact, a former prisoner in an Israeli jail uh, who was released by Israel over another deal, I think it was to free the, the, uh, the Israeli soldier who they held for a while... He gets released. He then goes on to plan the worst attack on on Jewish people since the Holocaust. They now apparently are holding an awful lot of senior Hamas leaders, and this exchange of um, of hostages for prisoners is going to end badly for Israel if they end up letting some of these people out.
13: I'm not. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll be honest, Michael. I'm not happy with this whole. It it, it pisses me off that Israel, and I understand why they did it, and I know that President Biden in the United States pressured them to enter into this bogus hostage deal with Hamas. I'm not happy with it. I don't like the fact that hostages are being released 10 at a time. That's absolute BS. Every hostage should be freed. But more importantly, that's not the story. MICHAEL, IT'S SO AWESOME THAT that MEN, WOMEN, AND CHILDREN ARE GAINING THEIR FREEDOM, BUT THAT'S NOT THE STORY HERE. THAT'S NOT WHAT'S IMPORTANT. WHAT'S IMPORTANT IS THAT HAMAS NEEDS TO BE NO MORE. AND I SO WORRY THAT WHAT WE'RE GOING THROUGH RIGHT NOW IS GOING TO DETER ISRAEL FROM DOING THEIR DAMN JOB AND GETTING RID OF HAMAS.
2: It's got to be done. And frankly, I'm sickened by the stories that are coming out, like the one today um, where they were, they were asked to, to locate and put into the next hostage release package, if you like, the 10 month old baby. They now say, oh, uh, he was killed in an airstrike by Israel some time ago. I mean, it's just disgusting.
13: It's disgusting. You can't believe a word Hamas says. We can only hope and pray that that little 10-month-old and his family are still alive. But my God, Michael, if that 10-month-old baby is dead, I I just think, look, I need, I need, we need Joe Biden to stand firm. Maggie Thatcher I forgot who, who back in the day she was refer. I think George H.W. Bush. Yeah. She said, don't go wobbly on me now, yeah. George. Yeah. We can't have Biden go wobbly on Israel now. Screw his left base. Most Americans are very pro-Israel. Biden cannot go wobbly. He's gotta be strong.
2: Yeah, absolutely right. Let's talk about his son, Hunter. Um, He's apparently happy to be questioned in Congress about a whole manner of of things, including some dodgy dealings. What do you make of that whole kind of situation with
13: Hunter Biden? It's very weird to me. Look, he called their bluff, Michael. I'm no fan of Hunter Biden, but he called the House Republicans bluff. He said, okay, you want me to come testify? TRANSPARENCY, BABY. LET'S DO IT IN FRONT OF THE AMERICAN PEOPLE. AND WHAT DID HOUSE REPUBLICANS SAY? NO, WE DON'T WANT THAT. I THINK, MICHAEL, THEY DON'T WANT THAT BECAUSE RIGHT NOW THEY DON'T HAVE MUCH OF A CASE AGAINST JOE BIDEN. WE KNOW THAT HUNTER BIDEN ENRICHED HIMSELF FROM FOREIGN GOVERNMENTS. SADLY, THAT'S LEGAL. IT'S CORRUPT, BUT IT'S LEGAL. But the House Republicans don't have the goods on Joe Biden. And Hunter Biden called their bluff yesterday. Right.
2: And what is he doing now, Hunter? Because, you know, having seen all the stories that got suppressed by um, various different regions of the country, various different outlets of of, of the press, and it turns out that, you know, all of those stories should not have been suppressed at all. Does he have a job? Does he pop into the White House to see Dad every now and again? What does he do?
13: You know what he does, Michael? He does what he's always done. He lives off of the Biden name. Right. It's it's uh, pathetic. It's corrupt. He's not the only one who di- does that and did that. I could introduce you to Jared Kushner, who got rich <laughs> off of his family name after he left the White House. But no, that's all Hunter Biden has done his whole life is live off of the Biden name.
2: But a lot of people say about American politics that the one thing that happens if you become a senator or you become a representative in the House or you become a, uh, you know, a presidential candidate or, or certainly you get to be president, you get very rich in America when you're a politician. And this is one of the things that Donald Trump says that, you know, how is it possible that Joe Biden, who's made, you know, a reasonable kind of six figure salary all of his life, is suddenly worth tens of
13: millions of dollars? They all do, Michael. I, I I did a lousy job of that. I didn't do that. But they all do that, <laughs> Republican and Democrat. You leverage your position in government to enrich yourself. Uh, it's wrong. It's corrupt. Uh, and, and, and part of the problem, though, is that these Republicans and Democrats are in Washington, D.C. Yeah. for like thousands of years. Yeah. I mean, Joe Biden is a creature of D.C. The longer they're there... More easily they can enrich their position. It's a shame.
2: It really is. Well, listen, Joe. A pleasure as ever to talk to. I'm going to cheer you up now because I'm going to play you um, a little bit of Donald Trump walking into that uh, place in uh, Columbus. Come on, come on, have a look at it. Cheer along with it if you like. Here it goes. Uh, he is, in fact, rather welcome. Made to feel very welcome. Nikki Haley's home state, South Carolina, uh, they seem to like him now. Of course, depending on which um, news outlet you watch that on, he was either being booed or he was being cheered. But you know, I think he's the next president of the United States. I'll make a bet with you at this point.
13: I, I will bet you dinner at your favorite joint out there.
2: Okay. All right. Well, listen, I can tell you my no, favourite. I can tell you I've got a couple of favourite joints in Washington, D.C. as well, so we may have to do it there, but we'll see uh, which one of Either us wins. Either way,
13: Michael, we'll bet dinner. You and I will bet dinner on that.
2: All right. Sounds good to me. Great stuff. Thank you very much indeed. Joe Walsh there. Thanks, uh, man. Very sensible man. We once used to argue all the time. Now we just talk and see if we have a few differences of opinion. It's all very good and it's all very wholesome uh, and it's the way we do it here at the Independent Republic uh, of Mike Graham. Now, uh, next time you say you're too old to do something, take some inspiration. From this man, 106-year-old World War II veteran Al Blaschke took to the skies in the company of Texas Governor Greg Abbott to tandem skydive. Look at this guy. And it's not the first time he's done it either. He skydived to mark his 100th birthday in 2017. That was ages ago. Set a world record for the oldest man to skydive in 2020 uh, when he was aged 103 years and 180 days. So he's actually done it again. He's broken his own record, 106 years of age. Absolutely extraordinary. I'm going to go visit my own mother, uh, who's almost 100, uh, coming up this weekend over in the USA. I don't think I'm going to take a skydiving, you know. Doesn't sound very good. Uh, you're watching The Independent Republican Mike Graham. After the break, we'll be taking your calls, 0344 499 You can have your say. Also, find out why actor and professional twerp Gigi Hadid issued a grovelling apology on social media. Welcome back. You're watching The Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Now, it's time for this. The World of Work. The war in the Middle East has been a source of incredible pain and suffering for the past seven weeks, but none of that has stopped some rather stupid people sticking both feet straight in and making complete fools of themselves. Step forward, Gigi Hadid, the supermodel who commands fees of up to £10 million a year and who's got a Palestinian father. You never got guess what she did this week. The superannuated clothes horse posted on her Instagram page that Israel was the only country in the world that keeps children as prisoners of war. She also highlighted the case of one particular child she called Ahmed. Manazra, uh, he was an innocent victim of Israeli brutality uh, and was held against his will, she said. In fact, it turned out he had been convicted of stabbing an innocent 13-year-old after chasing several others down the street vowing to stab Jews. Predictably, all hell broke loose on the face of Versace uh, and there were immediate calls for IMG models to fire. Harass, it says here. They obviously agreed because she soon issued a grovelling apology. I understand, she says, that with the power of my platform comes a huge responsibility she continued and whined, I'm human and I make mistakes, but I also hold myself accountable for those mistakes. But well, I wonder if the products she endorses will feel the same way. The
10: world of work.
2: Now, lots of you have been getting in touch. We're going to have a look at what's going on on the front pages of the papers very shortly, but you can have your say on all the socials at Talk TV and on the phones as well, 0344 499 1000. Let's hear now from Stuart, who's in Edgeware. Hi, Stuart.
14: Hi, Mike. How are you?
2: Yeah, good, sir. What can I do for you?
14: Well, immigration, uh, the Home Office is not fit for purpose. We've known that for many, many years. Yes. Most of them don't even go into work.
2: That's what we understand, like one day a week or something, right?
14: Yeah, exactly. Now, what they should do, hide the immigration part completely away from the Home Office, yeah. make a new department with, say, Ian Duncan Smith in charge, with his own pick team, and then all these lot coming on these dingers. It said, "Oh, we're coming from war-torn countries." But how do you know they came from war-torn countries no. when they destroy all their paperwork, they right. chuck everything in the sea? Right. So they come like that. Immediately, they refuse and kick them out. And it's like, the, do you remember the Prime Minister of Australia many years ago said, "We decide who comes to our country, yes. not anyone else." Right. And that and would be got- quite nice to hear from somebody in government, wouldn't it? Exactly. Well, we've got these unelected judges overruling everything. All these leftists in the home office overall everything Sir Barbara tried to do. It has become a joke. And we don't know who these people... Are these people terrorists? They're not just coming to live on benefits. Right. I think they could be a danger to this country.
2: Well, we already know, don't we, that several uh, terrorists have come on that particular route. We already know that the, uh, uh, the terror squad lost, I think, three people last week, just well, the week before. Uh, they were tracking six of them. Uh, three of them disappeared. They, we still don't know where they are, as far as we know. And I well, think it's incredibly irresponsible of the Home Office and of the government to let it continue.
14: Well, any legal immigrant company should be put in detention. Yeah. They should be put in there, they're te- test done within a week and then, if not accepted, yeah. deported. And that's what
2: well, they used to do. I mean, you can find any number of immigration lawyers who will tell you that back in sort of the day when, I'm sorry to tell you, when Tony Blair was in charge, they had a detention centre at Heathrow Airport, they would take them there, they would put them in front of a judge within 24 hours and if they ended up not being available or, or qualifying to stay here, they were leaving
14: on the next plane. That's well to an extent, but a friend of mine, her son's a, is a police officer, yeah. and remember they were coming on the uh, the lorries, yeah. and they used to stop them um, on the motorway. Yes, the and in the end there were so many that the government said, "Well, just let them go." There's nowhere to put them. Right. So we had no idea. In 1970, Mike, there were nearly 57 million people in this country. Yeah. Now they try to tell us. 53 years later, there's only 67 million people. Yeah. Do you believe that? Well, it feels a lot busier than that, I must admit, but then I do live in London. You're talking 85 to 100 million in That's what you're talking about. Blimey. And then I'll one more thing I want to make on. point. Do you remember when they threatened Sakir Starmer if he didn't agree to um, call for a ceasefire, he'd lose 5 million Muslim votes? Yeah. Now, hold on a minute. They're meant to be only 3,700,000. 5 million votes. What about all the ones that are under 18 and cannot vote? What are we talking, 5, 10 million kids? Well, very possibly so. Maybe they're counting all those absentee ballots as well. <laughs> We're we talking 10 <laughs> to 15 million. Possible Muslims in the country. Yeah, There's well, this eight, is the trouble about the figures,
2: right? Well, the trouble is, after we saw those two Home Office guys today talking to Lee Anderson. I don't think anybody knows what any figures are for anything. Absolutely unbelievable. Oh, no. Let's talk. To, thank you very much indeed. Talk to Phil right. uh, in Milton Keynes. Hi, Phil.
7: Hello, Mike. Long time no here. Indeed. Uh, what can I do for you? Say? Yes. Um, on the subject of um, illegal migration. Yeah. The one thing that's really struck me, which no one seems to have cottoned on to. If you commit an offence, which these people have because they're entering this country illegally, the first thing you would do would be to confiscate their phone. Yes. Because these people, and it's it's a very valid uh, 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 reason for it, because they have deliberately uh, disposed of their um, passports to conceal their identity. And the first thing you would do once you've confiscated their phones would be to, you know, to do some intelligence on it. Yeah. Find out who they are, you know, what, 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 they're, uh, what they've been doing for the right. last...
2: Who they've been receipt. calling.
7: Yeah, and all the rest of it. And I just don't get why that hasn't happened. Mm. You know, it just seems absolute... It's, it's a bit of joined-up thinking, you know? And, yeah. the, and the, other, the other subjects, I, you know, I live in Mills and Keynes. Now, there's a, there's a big town near, near here called Bletchley.
15: Yeah.
7: Uh, famous for, for the decoding place. Right. Now, you know, that is a ghost town now. All the, all the main high street shops have closed, and for one very simple reason, because of the sheer amount of shoplifting that goes on. Really, in, that's been going on, and you know it seems like there's this very simple solution to this, because it's got this ridiculous situation where, where they say, well, if it's if it's under 100, 100 quid, then They're you know all we're all not it. interested. Yeah. but the thing is, there will be one simple solution in every small town, or any any city. You will have wherever there are shops and there's shoplifting. You'll have a, a, a steel cage outside the shop, and any shoplifter that's caught it will be put in that cage for a period of something like two or three hours—some sort of reasonable sort of period. Right. But is it outside it's million, this cage? So if it's wet, they'll yeah. get wet. Well, of course they will get wet. That's okay. the whole idea. It's got to be, <laughs> you know, make it make it uncultivable for them. Quite right. Know? Okay. And, and you know, but the thing is, it, this, this is a simple thing that would stop the, all these. One, it would stop the these migrants come over to the fact that we take away their, their uh, mobile phones because yeah. then they can't, you know, continue the cycle. are bringing them friends back and all the rest of them right. telling them what's going on. So that would put a stop to it. Mm. And again, with this, these these, these um, shoplifters... Yeah. You know, no, listen,
2: I mean, once again, commonsensical plans uh, and sort of, you know, ideas that you would think would be relatively easy to implement, but this government doesn't seem to be able to implement very much of anything uh, with any great ease. We're going to be uh, joined by my panel very shortly, but before we do that, um, we want to talk to you about what happened tonight on Piers Morgan Uncensored, of course, because uh, what happened uh, was he decided having known for about two days that there's been some names out there uh, in the ether, some some people have named them on the internet. These are two names, of course, uh, which have been given out, supposedly in a Dutch version, a Dutch language version of Omid Scobie's latest book, uh, which is called Endgame. He says he doesn't understand how the names got out. Um, Originally, the publishers said, oh, yeah, uh, they were published in error. Uh, It was a translation error. And everybody went, well, how did you mistranslate somebody's name? And then they went, oh, no, it wasn't a translation error, it was just an error. Uh, Here's what Piers Morgan had to say tonight.
4: I'm going to tell you the names of the two senior royals who are named in that Dutch version of the book, because, frankly, if Dutch people wandering into a bookshop can pick it up and see these names, then you, British people here, who actually pay for the British royal family, you're entitled to know too. And then we can have a more open debate about this whole farrago, because I don't believe any racist comments were ever made by any of the royal family, and until there is actual evidence of those comments being made, I will never believe it. But now we can start the process of finding out if they ever got uttered, what the context was, and whether there was any racial intent at all. Like I say, I don't believe there was. The royals who are named in this book are King Charles and Catherine, Princess of Wales.
2: And that was Piers Morgan Uncensored tonight. Um, Piers Morgan, of course, pointing out that if it hadn't been for this particular allegation, he wouldn't be here. He wouldn't be at Talk TV because he'd still probably be at ITV working for Good Morning Britain, uh, which he left as a result uh, of being chased out of there by Meghan Markle complaining about the fact that he didn't believe these allegations about racism in the royal family. Now, uh, my panel joins me. Uh, Special Project Centre for Spectator, Ben Lazarus, colonist at Spikes, Ella Whelan, barrister and former Conservative MP and reprobate, Jerry oh. Hayes. Welcome to all of you. Nice to see you. Um, <laughs> yeah. Piers Morgan tonight, I can absolutely endorse what you said. Uh, I think he did the exact right thing because having these names sort of swilling about in the, in the netherworld of the internet... You know, Omid Scobie says he doesn't know how they somehow appeared in a Dutch version of his book.
1: Which says He says, deliberate. well,
2: you don't know that. You could say that. You can be your opinion if you wish. But I don't know that, right? And who knows how they got in there? It seems unlikely, though, doesn't it, that it just sort of suddenly happened and nobody knows anything about it.
9: Yeah. Well, it's a fantastic publicity move, whether it was a... Um, exactly. Uh, an accent or not? I mean, for those of us who do not give a monkey's whether the royal family is racist or not, um, and would like to stop talking about the royal family, like me, um, I, it, they as, didn't tell me
2: that before you came. In.
9: As soon as, as soon as something like this is out there in the open and people can get their fill of it and it can be proven right or wrong or whatever, the better. The most one of the most irritating things about the sort of Harry and Meghan saga is that they keep throwing out veiled accusations yes. and not being specific exactly. and then claiming to want to have privacy or claiming to be doing the right thing by not naming blah 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 just say what you exactly. want to say and, and I get I get that a
2: lot of people like you don't care and they're not interested whatsoever in the royal family of any in any way shape or form but I think at the end of the day um Jerry I'll put this to you as a lawyer I mean at the end of the day surely um the point is is you get the the, the items out in the open and then let people decide exactly who's telling the truth here. Because you may say that this doesn't matter. But actually, you know, for two years, there were a lot of people around the world who, whenever you mentioned the royal family to them, just went, oh, well, yeah, they're racist, aren't they? Because Meghan Markle said so. Yeah, yeah.
0: Piers was absolutely right in his assessment. And I thought he was wrong. And I'm happy to say that I am wrong. And this is not just about the royal family. This is about a family. This is about a son and a dad. And how does... King Charles Philip. I, I know him, you know, reasonably well from years back. Uh, and he's a good, kind and decent bloke. Yeah. And this is his son. Right. It's appalling. And also
2: there's no suggestion, Ben, is there, that if, if even if this conversation that they allege took place, don't even know if it did take place, but yeah. even if it did take place, there's no suggestion that therefore it, made, it makes them racist.
11: No, I, su- I suspect the you know, um, what was said and what was heard might be two different things perhaps. Um Maybe it was a slightly old-fashioned, sort of clunky way of yeah. of asking a question that, that you know...
2: But that also depends who you talk to. I mean, everyone I talk to, yeah. um, and I've worked with plenty of people of all different shapes and sizes mm. and colours and hues and religions, and they all say, well, people talk about what children are going to look like. They just do. Of course they do. Whether you're black, white, you know, brown, whatever colour in between, people do talk about it. And as you say, it could be clunky or it might not be clunky, but, I mean, I just think so much has been made of this... And I admit that I'm still making something
0: of it now. But, yeah, it's, it's a big deal, I think. It reeks of a publicity stunt. Yes. It reeks of it, mm. don't you think? To sell a book. I know. How vile, I how think, low do you get?
9: I think that's where I do care because, you know, I don't care about the internal familial relationships of the royal family, but I think that the, you know, this idea that conversations about race or, com- you know, conversations about anything to do with identity... Yeah become so toxic Um, and people and, you know, obviously there is a kind of judgment of what a lot of people still think what the royal family might be getting up to is symptomatic of what the wider Mm. British public is getting up to. Um, So there's a kind of (laughs) sort of like guilt by association about what's being talked about in the royal family. And obviously, if we can't have open conversations about these things, whether it's, you know, what a child's going to look like or or more serious discussions about race, then that's a problem. But if it was
0: a normal family, not the royal family, you would care. Because it's a father and it's a son and it's a daughter-in-law. You right. would care, wouldn't you? I'm,
9: all, all I'm saying well, is you that would, I th- wouldn't I you? Think there's more interesting conversations to be had about the future of the royal family. Yes. No, no, but than you would There about. are.
2: But but all of those then have to be put into the same kind yes. of um prism, if you like, because all of these conversations were taking place. Pro, um, sort of after the Black Lives Matter movement had happened and after everybody was asking questions about, you know, what's going on in Britain, is it a racist country? You know, somebody got fired from the uh, from the palace because she apparently said the wrong thing to some yeah. woman who I'm still convinced was cooking that up to try and make something out of, of nothing, course. you know. And there was a terrible kind of atmosphere in all walks of life, particularly in public life, where people were being accused of of sort of practically white supremacy. You know, Piers had that guy, Cahind Andrews, on, yeah. you know, who basically said, look, I don't really care which of the royal family members are racist or not, because now the story's been proven as though it doesn't really exist as a story. He said, but I'm more interested in the fact that the royal family represents white supremacy and everything that's wrong with Britain. Oh, for God's sake. And don't forget right. slavery. Don't and forget slavery. And, slavery and the Black Death. And reparations, the Black, the death. black death, the Elgin Margels, yes. marbles. It all feeds into the same thing, Yeah, you yeah.
9: know? Yeah, and I don't think you need to have some a kind of... Well, I think most people know that a conversation about white supremacy and that thing sounds like a sort of student union nightmare discussion. I want to have conversations, serious conversations about the royal family and its um, affront to democracy, populism, all those kind of things that I think are the real issue with the royal family, not who said yeah. like what about whose kid.
2: True. But if people were asked the question, do you think the royal family should continue to be the sort of heads of state in Britain um, if they're racist, you get a much different answer. Yeah. And if you ask them straight out, what do you think? Yeah, yeah. Have a democracy so, and have Liz Truss in charge.
9: Oh yeah, well, I could, she's gone to America. her apparently. out, you know? Well, apparently, Liz, apparently,
2: Liz Truss has gone to America.
11: Really? <laughs> she's, she's been there this week, meeting uh, Republican. Yeah. Voters, oh, um, very she's, she's
2: sort of yeah. I mean, she's amazing. I I met her uh, only once, and she. And this was post the uh, you know the very short prime ministerial reign that she had, and she's absolutely convinced that she got it right. Of course, she. The way she, she when you when you hear her talking, she doesn't. In any way, acknowledge that she got anything wrong. She thinks everybody else was wrong. Of course, isn't that the definition of madness? Yes.
9: Well, I'm going to go out on a crazy limb here. I quite like to actually. I'm going to go out on a crazy limb here and say that her conversation. There's few people that said that her focus on growth was inaccurate. Everybody knows that growth is what needs to happen. And the kind of idea that she rocked the markets and all the rest of it... But well, she did. It's also, of course she did. Well, the markets rocked the
2: markets, actually.
9: But it's, you know, any it's basically any politician who t- tuts at her about that is admitting that they will do nothing for fear of rocking the markets. Yeah. So yeah. It's not, I'm not a trust offender. I think she was, uh, you know, feckless and kind of ridiculous in the way in which she carried things out. But in the abstract, if you have anyone try and do some kind of big political change... Yeah. And everyone gets their knickers in a twist, mm. and therefore she's a failure. Well, that's not good for politics, no, is it? No, I
2: don't. I don't think that's that's at all um, a, a fair assumption about her either, because I think the fact is that there were plenty of things that Rishi Sunak's done since then, which have caused just as much calamity in the markets and caused just as much loss of investment value to people. Um, but he's fine because everybody goes, oh yeah, he's a safe pair of hands, isn't he? He's absolutely well, no, he's a hell of a lot safer than her and Kwasi. Well, I'm not sure if that's true. Oh, I think he's so. he's been given enough opportunity to be safer, but but let's see. Let's talk a bit about a story that we've got here in front of us. More people are dying due to virtual GP appointments. I could have told you this was going to happen. Of course. If you can't get to see a doctor, you're not going to be better, are you? You're not going to get... You're going to get worse.
11: Uh, Yeah, exactly. Um, It's one of these weird things that hasn't gone back to being what it was like pre-pandemic. You know, people don't go into medicine to talk to people over the phone. Mentally, no. if you're or you no. know you a doctor... No, but you do if
0: you're a GP, because the GP's contract under Tony Blair, and, you know, I'm a great supporter in many ways, although I didn't vote for him for Tony Blair, said, right, GPs, you don't have to go and see your patients after after dark, uh, you have a locum. Sometimes he might just speak a little bit of English, which is if you're good, lucky. if you're lucky. Yeah. Uh, and now, oh, we don't have to go and, and actually see. Look, at my son's a critical care paramedic, and he can tell more in your hand. Um but not over video, But not over, no. No.
2: But that was always going to be the case. Of course I mean, it was. The whole working from home thing seems to have sort of collapsed in on itself. And there's not now, apart from people in the civil service and local councils, not that many people working from no. home. But the doctors are still operating this kind of, you know, do it yourself. If you can't fix yourself, then I can't help you. Yeah. Don't bother coming down here. My, I always repeat this every time we talk about doctor surgeries. Yeah. My favourite picture during COVID sent to me from somebody in somewhere like Rugby, uh, took a picture outside their GP surgery. It actually had a sign that said, Please do not enter if you are unwell. Yeah. and you're going.
0: But well, it's a doctor's surgery. That's come why in I'm for here. a chat. Yeah, you know my my favourite sign with outside an undertaker's during COVID, and they were t- being really nice. Actually, said thank you is outside an undertaker's. Thank you NHS. Let's <laughs> <laughs> see what they did there. Yes. Um, let's talk about the. Speaking of which, let's talk about the COVID
2: inquiry. Um, that was pretty bizarre today. We had Dominic Raab. Um, and Sajid Javid disagreeing with each other um, about who felt that Dominic Cummings was more in charge than Boris Johnson.
11: Yes. Um, Sajid said he, Dominic Cummings was running the show and yeah. was, and was uh, de facto Prime Minister. Um, I mean, whether that was the case or not, that's, that's on Boris doesn't Johnson. doesn't really matter, does it? Yeah. No. I mean, Boris Johnson was Prime Minister and it was up to him to appoint, yeah. appoint the people he wanted to appoint.
2: Right. Carrie. Right. carry Well, I think it probably was. Let's have a look at what Sajid had to say.
11: It was clear that in, in Mr Cummings, the Prime Minister had, had, had picked someone that he had decided to, for whatever reason, to trust with a huge amount of responsibility and, and power. And uh, many times I felt like um, that the key decisions, many of the key decisions were being made by Mr Cummings and not the Prime Minister uh, in a way that I had not seen with any other Prime Minister, certainly that I had, had worked with.
2: You don't know who to believe here, do you, really? Dominic Robb says that wasn't the case. He says it was.
9: I think it probably was a bit of both. I mean, I I sympathise with Javid's point in that. I do think it was outrageous that as so much of decision-making throughout the pandemic, particularly in those early months, was given over to people who nobody elected. Yeah. And, you know, that goes for, by the way, the sort of piling on of pressure of scientific experts, oh, to yes. be said, to be making all the decisions... Yeah which was not fair on them, and it certainly wasn't fair from a sort of citizen point of view. Um, you know, democratic accountability went out the window of the emergency powers and emergency right. legislation and the rest of it. So, you know, yes, I, do, I did not like the fact that Cummings had such a big ego and was lording it around. At the same time, I think everybody knows that Boris Johnson was only ever as good as what the last person said in his ear, whether that was his wife or whether that was Cummings, and that you can tell that in his shift from Mr Populist uh, Man of the People in 2019 to then (laughs) falling to pieces for the mean, He gave the
2: impression of a guy who just couldn't uh, argue anymore, didn't he? He gave the impression of somebody who just was like, I've given up, I'll just do what you want. Well,
0: exactly, but I mean, look, what do we have? We have a government, it's just about every government, Labour is just the same, who've all gone to Oxbridge and got PPE, um degrees. Yeah. Uh, they know nothing about science. Most of them probably can't remember their table. I don't think that matters, though. I don't know why people got the knickers in a twist about this thing. Well, the well, other well, week. well. But you've got to have going, a basic oh. understanding of science. one of the things that the, the scientists were What, to understand saying about, how viruses spread? Well, yeah, but really? you and I understand that. But some of these people in the cabinet just didn't get it. Boris Johnson didn't get it. According to well, he which did it, get it didn't. He he well, you got oh, very good. See? But, <laughs> Well, I mean, the thing is, that yeah. I, I don't. I mean, there's this kind of
2: snobbery that exists abroad, particularly when it comes to scientists, who, as I've said many times, they're all geeks, right? These are all people that you wouldn't want to yeah, hang yeah. around with. They were weirdos at school, they went to college, they wore white coats, they wore big glasses and goggles because they were always blowing things up. And then suddenly they became government scientific advisors. You don't necessarily know anything about human no. nature or the rest of the world. But
9: this is the important thing. They 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 might have known, and I, I trust that they knew a lot about the science and the medical implications and all the rest of it. I still, you know, even though a lot of it has become questionable, I'd like to maintain my trust in scientific experts. But from a from a sort of government-running-the-country point of view, that expertise, that expert opinion has to be balanced with the, the, the daily lives of right. your public which is that, you know, you can say... You, you're meant to be making judgment calls based on quality of life and the future of public life versus managing this virus. And what happened throughout... This is the most frustrating part of the inquiry, is that it's it's only talking about why we didn't lock down faster, why didn't we go yeah. further in our restrictions. Right. And the main thing that most sort of, you know, average Joe and Janes are thinking about, looking back on those hellish few years is why did no-one think about the impact of me not being able to go to my but, mother's funeral? But they did.
0: This is the whole point. Say you're Prime Minister and you've got SAGE and everyone thinks, well, oh, SAGE, you know, they really know what they're doing. There were about 50 or 60 people, right. all with differing views. Cool. You're a politician. Right. You've got to make a judgement. Yeah. And And it's really tricky, isn't it? And also, they're behavioural scientists. They're not proper
2: scientists.
13: They're people who say, well, if you do
0: this, that
2: might happen. And they didn't get it all right, actually. And it was ridiculous. But anyway, stay with us. Hold that thought, because we've got more to do. You're watching The Independent Republic Mike Graham. After the break, we're going to look at some of the other big stories in the papers, uh, and we're going to tell you about why squirrels are so hated by a particular member of the DUP. I don't know why either. Welcome back. You're watching the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here uh, on Talk TV. The panel are all still here. We're going to start looking at some of the stories on the front pages. you have got front pages of The Times here, guys. And just as we were talking about um, uh, migration throughout the earlier part of this show, uh, migrant deal delays put Rwandan help at risk. Officials fear impacts of further legal wrangling. Well, I mean, you know, that doesn't sound terribly surprising. I was about to say no something Sherlock. But um, <laughs> Rwandan support for Britain's migration scheme is at risk of collapse, says The Times. I don't know why they keep going on with it. I mean, it's
0: clearly not yeah. going to work, is well, it? Well, clever, cleverly doesn't want to get on with it. I mean... Well, nobody the only, does. The only thing wrong with Rwandan deal was Rwanda. Mm. If you've gone anywhere else where they have a decent record of human yeah, rights and the rest of it... But Rwanda is, is a destination for
2: um, uh, refugees. The UNHCR has sent them there. Israel has sent them there. Libya has sent them there. Scandinavia has sent them there. They have hosted plenty of refugees there. Well, you read the Supreme Court stuff. Yeah, well, uh, nobody I- believes that they're not political.
0: Well, they? Well, look, yes, they do. They're judges. They're not oh, political yeah, right, at all. Sure. Oh, sure. come on, Mike. Even... They, no. they took the view no. of
2: the United Nations, which is a discredited organisation in anybody's sensible mind, Right, um, isn't it? Um, Help me out here, guys. No, no. Um, my
9: problem no. was never with whether or not there was, you know, the row about human rights in Rwanda. It was the idea that you would do that. You would uh, basically do. I mean, I think it's wrong what Israel and Libya done, and it's wrong what the European Union does in relation to Libya, which is just export your mm. migration problem and pretend just pretend that it's not your issue. I mean, the interesting thing that the Times picks up on is <laughs> that a lot of this kind of a lot of the government's approach to the ongoing row on Rwanda um, is one going to be coloured by the fact that Rwanda is now said to be getting nervous because. It looks like the UK government can't do anything right. right and well, they've got
0: 140 million of our.
9: They've quid. got a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. At, But then, secondly, the Times picks up on the fact that there was, you know, a lot of pressure is going to be on Lord Cameron of Chipping Norton, which is it's just a funny turn of events. Good isn't man. It? Yeah. That, good uh, man. That, yeah.
2: See, so he's well, already he's already, he's he's already got his foot in the
0: wrong camp. Yeah.
9: But no. That, it, he no, was my researcher it, years ago. But isn't it interesting that that something which is meant to be this sort of like um, red meat populist policy? Yeah. Is now being decided by Lord Well, it's come back and bit them on the arse,
2: basically. I mean, it has. Alicia Kearns, the Conservative chairman of the Foreign Affairs Select Committee, says we need to move away from the fixation with Rwanda as a silver bullet to tackling illegal migration. Absolutely, but it right. never was. Yeah, I
11: mean, one so, of the one of the problems is there. There just simply isn't a silver bullet to tackle no. the issue. Um, and you know, we've wasted it so says here 19 months since yeah. Rwanda was first announced. Nothing's happened. I think the Supreme Court is going to be very difficult to get around. Um, so we're probably going to, at some point, not need to not just simply throw red meat as, um, as you said, but actually work out some sort of some compromise, kind of workable yeah. solution.
2: Yeah. yeah, you would think it would be easy to do. Yeah, well, the solution
9: do. is the solution is quite, um, in many ways quite boring. It's just making sure that the system works properly. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned at the top of the of the hour, you know, the whole row about working from home. Yeah, yeah. there's so much <laughs> within the system that's simply about. Emails not being replied to, yeah. them, folders going right. missing. So that, you know, and they've also remember the Windrush scandal? That yeah. was a huge part about yeah. just very but bad. The home, yeah, the Home Office yeah. cocking up. And what it up.
0: did John Reid say as the Labour Home Secretary? Yeah.
9: Home Office is not
0: fit yeah. for purpose. And he it said never that, has. Been. But he said that about 2008. Yeah, it's actually oh, got yeah. worse. Nothing, nothing. But, so
2: now all they've got to do is actually also make it less attractive to come to Britain. And then people, because that's the only way it's going to slow down and stop, is for people who
0: just stop coming. But the boat And at the people, moment, that's not going to happen. Yeah, but the boat people are not the problem. Yeah, they are, actually. Well, they're, they're, they're not. Well, they're we're not going to get into yeah, it. They are, no, they visually are. No, they're... The they're, real they're, problem is legal people coming Yeah, well, coming that's also over. the problem. That's but the it's problem. All, it's yeah. all the
2: problem. Yeah. But I'll tell you who uh, has got something to change your mind about what's Ooh. the problem. Uh, and this is a guy called Jim Shannon. Ah. Uh, who is from the DUP. Now, remember how important the DUP used to be? Oh, yeah. uh, there was a time when you couldn't do anything without asking if the DUP oh, were yes. OK with it. Um, this is why that's probably no longer uh, a thing that we should rely on, because this guy um, has got it in for squirrels. Have a look at this in Parliament.
10: Ards Red Squirrel Group, full of fantastic volunteers who work tirelessly to protect the future of the red squirrel species in my constituency of Strangford, and particularly in Mount Stewart. Uh, This uh, organisation is led by the National Trust Mount uh, Stuart Ranger team. They are in constant contact with local landowners to monitor red squirrels and eradicate any grey's adventure. Indeed, the the very presence of grey grey squirrels are the Hamas of of the squirrel world.
2: I mean, there are some words that you wouldn't use when you're talking about things other than actually Hamas and what's going on. Israel, you wouldn't really liken anything to a mass, would you?
0: But why did he say it? Well, I, well, I don't know. Say. Well, I mean, why did he make the speech about squirrels? How is that going to help? I mean, they haven't got any government in
2: Northern Ireland. You might think you'd have more to say about that.
0: Well, I don't think to work so quite it.
2: well without a government. But
0: were they, aren't great squirrels <laughs> Catholic squirrels? That's what Well, that depends made.
2: on which side of the Falls road they're Absolutely on, right. You know, we shall <laughs> yeah. see. But I'll tell you what, talking about Westminster, I don't know if you saw any of this last night. I found this incredible. It happened at the same time last year, um and it now appears that london is basically hijackable by any group uh, known to man this is albanians celebrating albanian independence day right have a look at these pictures and they basically take over parliament square they did it last year they've all got these very very expensive high end cars um they all seem to have lots and lots of money. People say that if you check the licence plates on a lot of these cars, it turns out that they're not actual real licence plates. Um, there were people driving around in G-class Mercedes. You know, people say that the Albanians have got a grip on the old uh, drug market. Um, so if we've got a deal to send a lot of Albanians back to Albania, it does seem to be working terribly well because they, they literally brought London to a standstill, Ben, last night.
11: Yeah, I'm not entirely sure why the police allow this.
2: Well, I'm not sure either. I mean, they just seem to watch them And apparently they arrested a few of them later on at night because they ended up somewhere near Waterloo and
11: started getting a bit leery with the police.
2: But it now seems to me that if you've got enough of you, you can just go into central London and do whatever you like.
11: Yeah, I mean, I work in Westminster every day and, um, you know, there is a police presence. So they must have just watched this sort of... Yeah, they
2: would have known it would happen because it happened exactly like this at the same time last year. They've all got Albanian flags. It's quite weird,
9: isn't
0: it? It's weird, very weird.
9: Well, there is, I mean, our office is in Westminster as well. And at least once a week, if not more, you see this kind of just up all slow march with police looking sort of very friendly side. (laughs) And, you know, you don't... I've got a lot of problems with Suella Braverman, um, a lot. And we could talk about that all show. But one thing that she got right was there are a lot of people looking at police presence Mm. and police action and thinking, hang on a minute. Why are you able to crack heads when it's this group of people? but you seem to be softly, softly yes. on that side. Although, not that I'm in favour of sort of, um, you know...
0: Of Cracking heads.
9: <laughs> no, not that I'm in I favour am. of people getting drunk and stopping traffic and undoing oh. whatever they are Hello. Albanian independence did. You're a journalist. Um, you must
0: have got drunk and stopped traffic that, at one time. But in I,
9: what I'm trying to say is that I do... I'm heartened by the fact that the government clampdowns on protests and the police crime yeah. and the courts bill and all the rest of it and the attempts to just outlaw any kind of public gathering... Seem to not be working no. very well, so maybe there's I hope also, for that bill being overturned.
2: To death of, and I'm born and raised in London. sick to death of London being used as some kind of, you know, protest central. Yes. You know, why don't they go and protest yes. in Milton Keynes or Luton yes. or somewhere? Being I, out there, why don't they have to at, do everything here? It's, it's a, a
0: lifestyle choice.
11: At, at the pro-Palestinian demos, they they they've had organised sort of convoys and buses that yeah. from Bradford and right. places like that. From why don't they North. do them up there? Yeah, exactly.
2: I mean, just stay um, yeah. out of London. Yeah, I'd give them all exclusion orders and say to bugger off, don't come back. Um, speaking of which, uh, we're <laughs> talking about civil servants. Thousands of civil servants, page two of the Times, are apparently threatening to quit after being told this horrendous thing: uh, they must come into the office three days a week. Ridiculous! I mean, Ridiculous! What? Ridiculous! I mean, unbelievable. Moggy was probably right. I think he was right, but yeah. again. People would have had sympathy with, with Rees-Mogg if he'd gone and done that and fixed it, but he yeah, didn't. Yeah. He just put no. little notes on people's desks and then nothing happened. Yeah,
9: working... like a passive-aggressive yeah. sort of student but it, Yeah,
2: but it didn't sort it, did it? <laughs> I mean, that's the problem. Yeah. And that doesn't really do anybody uh, any good at all.
9: The civil service is just not covering themselves in glory. I mean, there's so much about the... For, for a lot of people, so a lot of people I went to school with, go, joining the civil service is something, it's sort of a proud job it's you know it has a lot of kudos it's meant to be something that is respectful and you respect it you know, it's a public service. Um, and yet it seems like so many of them are sort of entitled youngsters who balk at the idea of having to get yeah. out of their pajamas. And you end up sounding like Reese Mogg. I mean, I'm all for flexible working well, as long as you don't conditions, look like him,
2: You'll be fine. But, um, but- or start dressing like him. You don't <laughs> want to do any of that. But I mean, it is extraordinary, isn't it? That, that this, as I say, local councils have, have got so few people apparently working in their offices that some of them are thinking of selling off the property and just going, we actually don't need a council office at all. Because oh. we just manage everything on email, manage everything on the phone. Yeah. Nobody needs to be there. And it's shocking, because if they start selling off the properties, we won't see the money. Mm. They'll just keep it, won't they? Because, I mean, one of the things we were going to talk about, actually, Not- Nottingham's the latest city council
0: to go bankrupt. It's another Labour council. There's going to be more to follow, aren't there? Clue's 114. Yeah. And it's going to come back to haunt this government and every government. Birmingham has gone bankrupt. Who's going to pick up the cheque? I'll tell you, we are. We are. Nottingham Council tax. Um and it's across the party system. It's across... It's a real,
11: real, yeah. real problem. I mean, we talked about Liz Truss earlier and how she was the only person who was... Even if her methods weren't correct, she at least spoke about growth. Yes. And uh, we need to accept that, actually, the country's in massive decline. Yeah. Um, we need to start growing. Yeah, grow. And, uh, and if we don't, if, the, if the, things don't pick up, we have just. Front more page and more of the counsel.
2: Times uh, has got something on that. Front page of the Times says that haricot crop is grown here for the first time. <laughs> so there's first sign <laughs> of The green shoots of recovery uh, are <laughs> coming thick and fast. What I didn't know was that it all started in 1886 when a young salesman arrived here from America and took five cases of an exciting food into Fort Masons. They bought all of it. And there was the haricot bean was was born.
9: I had no idea that baked beans were originally an American thing.
2: No, I didn't. Um, Now um, I should say this: a couple of of TV stories for you before we go. Race roy, race royal, royal pair named on TV show. The Mirror, crediting uh, Talk TV with uh, Piers Morgan naming uh, the royals in question. Very good. And also, I've only been doing this since the beginning of November, and we're already calling Newsnight uh, going down the pan. Uh, Newsnight on the Chopping blog, it says here. They've cut it back from an hour to half an hour. Uh, so pretty soon it will be gone altogether. Yeah. Pester next. And then Question Time, as more and more question people decide to dreadful. watch the show instead. It's of dreadful. Course it is. The last time I saw Question Time, I was on it. Well, that's probably the last time I watched it, which was about last century, I think, <laughs>
0: It wasn't. was last century, I think.
2: <laughs> very good. Jerry Hayes, good to see you. Hello, great to see you as well. Mm. Ben, thank you very much indeed. Um, Absolutely brilliant show. Thank you to all of you who are watching and we'll be back, of course, tomorrow night. Uh, This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Uh, Remember, we've named the Royals and we'll see what happens about that tomorrow. This is Talk TV.